As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Spin Rate presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. That's right, this is Spin Rate, the Athletics Toronto Blue Jays podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice, and oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about. I am, my name is Drew, I am the host, I am joined by the co-host of Spin Rate. You read her every day, every week, every month, every hour in the athletic itself. Her name is Caitlin McGrath. I am so excited to talk to her. Caitlin, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. One day later, well rested after a long and pretty exciting homestand. Long and exciting homestand. Some might say, I thought, I think I saw some saying on the internet that it, you could probably make a not difficult case that this was the best homestand ever in Blue Jays history. They didn't win every game, mm-hmm. or they were nine and two. They yeah. lost one to the Red Sox there on Saturday of those of the seven inning variety. Mm-hmm. And I guess they lost to Cleveland, one of yes. those games. They did. But in terms of vibes, in terms of performance, in terms of significance, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better homestand of all time. What, what Kaylin, would you say is your biggest like takeaway? What's the, what's the thing that's gonna, you're, you're going to remember most? So this, the homestand's been 11 games, so we've already talked about the, re, the, the return return. But mm-hmm. that just the good vibes kept on going. I, I don't know. What, what did it feel like for you here at the end of 10 days? You needed a bit of a rest. But uh, <laughs> yeah. were, were, the vibes, were the vibes as strong at the end of the week? I think so, because obviously last week we talked about the return and all the emotions of it. But the end of the homestand had a lot of emotions, too, because they were facing the Red Sox. And obviously there's a lot that goes into division rivalry. And it was the last time they had we're facing the Red Sox this year. They've had kind of a hard time against the Red Sox this year. All the previous times they've played the Red Sox at home has been either, I guess, in Dunedin and Buffalo, where they weren't really, um, they didn't really have the benefit of a home team crowd because mostly Red Sox fans kind of flooded um, those sites. So it ended really strongly as well. In terms of like my takeaway, I think that like, one of the takeaways is just how kind of perfect it it was. Like you said, it was, 
you can make the case that it's one of the best homestands ever just because of the mix of emotion of them returning the first time that a lot of these fans are seeing guys like George Springer at their peak and Vlad at their peak and Boba Shett was playing really well and Marcus Simeon was playing well and their pitchers were really pitching strongly and everything just really came together and the crowd was excellent throughout um and the players I think were feeding off that as much as players can feed off that in terms of how much benefit it actually is probably a small percentage but I certainly think that it had a boost I think that there was just a lot of fun elements that came out this homestand um I wrote about it I guess last week that home run jacket kind of made its debut um the last time they were in Boston, but it kind of really took hold at this homestand because the fans were actually getting to see it. And now you got people that were at the game can see in the dugout, maybe if they're sitting. So that was really fun. And I will say that like that Saturday and Sunday, those games, actually Friday, Saturday and Sunday, all three games, all three days against the Red Sox, all four games against the Red Sox were some of the most like emotion packed, exciting games that I've actually covered um, in my time covering Blue Jays, Blue Jays. Now, keep in mind, I've only been covering them um, extensively since 2018. So those teams didn't really have, um, you know, the 2018 team and 2019 team didn't have sort of a lot of uh, potential, I guess, or drama around it. It was sort of that rebuilding phase for them. So um, more exciting, uh, you know, games on the line were few and far between those years. But the the combination of that nine run inning on Friday that was just like inc- like an incredible offensive display from the Blue Jays where it was like just everyone was hitting. It was nonstop. It, it had the feeling of like, is this inning going to end? They did a lot of that with two outs as well. And then you had Saturday, which was two really tense close games. The Marcus Simeon, um, you know, first pitch home run off Matt Barnes. It went into the left field, so it flew like right by me. You know, that was really exciting. I don't, it's so having one run games are so rare for the Blue Jays that they haven't really gone well for them. So to see a walk off, um, Marcus Simeon's first walk off uh, home run of his career, th- you know, that was w- w- like one of the more, most exciting games I've seen just because there was so much on the line. And then it, and then it topped it off with Sunday, which was like, you know, you couldn't even script it better. I mean, they, I guess the, the Hollywood ending would have maybe been Vlad hitting that home run, but I don't know. I think it's a toss up between if George Springer hits the home run or Vlad hits the home run, what is the more, more perfect ending? I think either way it was fine, but that was incredible coming off Matt Barnes again. I mean, you know how loud it was and just the way they won in that comeback fashion. It was, yeah, it was two, three of the, the best games that I've really seen the Blue Jays play, honestly, it, live in person um, since I've covered them. I think it's like the perfect storm because they're games that are fun, games that are close, games that are emotional, but they're also games that matter, right? It's like all the elements are, are there and, and all the elements, including winning the close game, blowing, you know, blowing teams out. It's sort of like the things that we, if you're a Blue Jays fan and you're looking for like markers, like, is this for real? Or were the Blue Jays, did the Blue Jays do the right thing by moving, you know, the pieces they moved to get Jose Barrios? Did they do the right thing by not trading Marcus Simeon and Robbie Ray, for example, which some folks were, were uh, loudly um, banging away that they should have done that? Uh, you know, a lot of that stuff was put to rest. 
mm-hmm. lot of that stuff is like this is this looks like a team that should be able to compete for a playoff spot. This looks like a team that doesn't have many f- foes within the American League that are better. Right, you know, yeah. you could probably you could make a case that Houston's better. You can make a case that maybe the White Sox are better. You can't say definitively that the Red Sox are better than the Blue Jays. You can't. You'd be a fool to do not, so. Yeah. Well, not you, not the mm, way they've been playing lately. Not the way the Red Sox have been playing, and not the way the Blue Jays have been playing. All of that sort of, um, you know, all the run differential stuff. It's not that it's all going to come home to roost all at once, but there's a lot to be excited about if you're a Blue Jays fan um, watching that incredible series. And you you mentioned um, George Springer, who for the second week in a row was named the American mm-hmm. League Player of the Week, absolutely ascending to another plane of existence, another <laughs> level of consciousness where he's just like absolutely crushing the baseball, the, absolutely anchoring the lineup from the top. Unbelievable. The home run that he hit on Sunday was absolutely a no-doubter right off the bat. Like I was there and obviously saw it going into left center field. But then when I, and and so it, it looked like it was going out the whole way. So I could tell, but I don't hear, I don't hear it off the bat in the press box. Mm. So when I watched the video back, just hearing how he connected and then looking at the pitch location, I don't know what Matt Barnes was doing there. Um, I mean, obviously he missed his spot, but like just off the bat, it was, just an incredible home run. I, I think it actually was his second furthest home run this season. Um, I'm, I'm guessing the, f- the furthest one is still that one that might have been his first or second home run as a Blue Jay, where he really hit it out of the park. And like landed off, it on the school. In Dunedin. In, in Dunedin, in Dunedin yeah. yeah, sorry. In that little cameo, the little George <laughs> yeah. Springer spoiler alert. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny you talk about that pitch because I was thinking about the same thing. And if you watch... You know, where, uh, what's his name? Pilecki or whatever the catcher's name is for, for Boston. He sort of sets up down and away. Like he wants the ball kind of down and away. And then he, he moves the, the target sort of high in the strike zone just as Barnes is going to kind of going into his motion. So it's, so I was like, okay, what's the real target here? Was it down and away? Did he want it to go back? Did he want it to go up? But it is just an absolute beat, like cookie, like right down the middle. <laughs> 90, I mean, it's 95, but. Right into his bat path, a little bit of that, like leaking right in onto the barrel, and he did not miss. And he's been incredible. He's been incredible, and and because he's a good player, I don't. It's not really a complicated thing. It's not. He's not some some babe in the woods who's like I'm wandering out and is uh is just by chance performing at a high level. He's a really good player who's playing really well. He's not this good. You know, you know, uh, just us, just between friends. I don't think George Springer is going to continue to to hit uh, as he has for the last two weeks. But he also ha- he has like a nearly you know one thousand OPS for the season, which is, I mean, maybe he's probably not that good, but he's still really good and he's playing really well. And it's just the Blue Jays are capable of scoring a lot of runs. But I think the biggest story. So Blue Jays scored a lot of a lot of runs. Marcus Simeon hit a hit a, a that. That key, obviously, Matt Barnes again threw one pitch in the in Saturday's <laughs> opener, and uh, then was able to pitch in the sa- in the in the nightcap, getting the save for Boston. But he threw one yeah. pitch. Simeon hit it into left center field. It was a home run, not quite as far as George Springer's, but offense. You know that was some timely offense, although they didn't score a ton of runs there on Saturday. Scored a d- bunch on Friday. Scored nine on Sunday. So offense is doing what we kind of come to come for, to it come to expect it to, even with like. 
slightly less than what we've come to expect in terms of performance from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But I think the thing we should talk about is the pitching. And, the, you know, the, anyone who watched the Blue Jays in April or even May didn't think they were capable of winning too many one nothing games. But now, I don't know, Caitlin, what do you, uh, what do you make of the way that the team has pitched both in the, in the rotation and in the, in the bullpen? Yeah, I mean, it's been really good. I was looking a little bit at the numbers yesterday um, of the rotation. And I have to say, like, the rotation has been, I think, steady since end of May, June. Like, it, it, to me, it hasn't been a huge problem um, in terms of that's the reason why they weren't doing well. There was a lot of collective things. Obviously, the bullpen was the bigger issue in May and June. But looking at the numbers, um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but the Blue Jays, do. I do remember, like, since the All-Star break, their pitchers have, like, I think the fourth lowest ERA um, since that All-Star break, which obviously includes um, the two starts from Barrios, who is an essential ad. He's looked, he's looked great um, in his two starts. Uh, for the Blue Jays, Pr- pretty much almost perfect, right? He only he's only allowed one earned run. It was on this uh, home run from Alex Verdugo that was kind of a wall scraper in center field, which um, helped Boston win that game. Um, but he's been excellent. Robbie Ray has been great. Um, and I, like the numbers that the uh, starters put up in that homestand before Ryu's kind of dud there on Sunday, I think their collective ERA for that 10 games was like 134. Like it was incredible. Like the starters were really great. And, you know, obviously they were facing teams. The Royals aren't a great offensive team. The Cleveland is a terrible offensive team. The worst. So, God, yeah. they're, they're awful. <laughs> so, um, you know, the the competition wasn't uh, – stiff but you know still major league teams obviously and and they pitched well against boston um for another terrible offensive team (laughs) for three three of those games and the you know ryu was not himself i don't necessarily think it's anything to panic about because we've seen him waver a little bit this year and then he's usually kind of bounced back so i wouldn't be too worried about him i think that the rotation is in a really good spot right now and um you know they're actually coming upon a decision soon where they're gonna have to cut it back down to five starters they've been going with six guys in the rotation because they've had these double headers and they've had a really busy schedule, something like, I don't know, 25 games in 24 days or something like that. And so they've been using six guys. And so there's going to be, I guess, kind of a little head on head competition, I guess, on Tuesday with between Matt's and Stripling, because they're each starting one of those double header games. They both are coming. I mean, Matt's has been pretty good since the all-star break. Um, Ross Stripling has been like, you know, if you t- if you take out the numbers, um, someone tweeted this, and I saw it. You take out the numbers against Boston, where he's just been awful this year. But uh, outside of starts against Boston, he's been you know an above average starter. I don't know if it's necessarily sustainable or if this is like you know Ross Stripling's um, career year or whatever. Although I think he was an All Star one year in um in with the Dodgers, and I don't know what his numbers were that year, but. But yeah, like overall, starting pitching has been great. Um, it's better now with Brios. Obviously, the bullpen has been holding its own. Um, I still don't don't think it's a perfect group, but guys have been pitching better. Um, losing Tim Meza for an injury is not ideal, but I'm willing. Very I mean, not I, ideal. I, I don't. I don't get the sense that it's serious. I got the sense more that he was feeling some pain in the elbow, and this seemed like a good 
opportunity to just give him some rest to make sure that he can finish strong. And, mm-hmm. you know, they are, they had these double headers and they have an off day. And so you think with the double headers, you can get away with fewer relievers because you hope that your starters can give you six. And, um, I mean, they did that both on the Saturday true, doubleheader. True. And so against the Angels, I guess, I don't know if you're going to get six out of Steven Matz or Ross Stripling, but you would hope that you get five, and then you're really just covering four innings there. From Even if you only get four, right? Even if you only get four innings out of, out of a it's guy like It's just not Mats. as much to cover, yeah. No, and the, the Angels are not a great offensive team, especially given you know some of the injuries that they've experienced. We'll be right back with more spin rate, but first, check this out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There's a really interesting uh, article that Mark Petri- um, Mike Petriello, who's uh, been a guest on this show, writes for right. for Statcast and whatever. He wrote a, a lot about um, the, how the Blue Jays pitching has really become elite and how they've become one of the best starting pitchers since uh, teams starting staff since the beginning of July. How since June they've had a really really good uh, since June 19th they've got 27 and 15 record. Like the Jays are really good, but. One of the key takeaways from his his story, which is, I think is 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 reflective of the way that they've kind of built the team, is that the Blue Jays have basically pitched z- like almost zero high leverage innings over the last few months because they've kind of got a great setup because right. they've got some strong starting pitching that you know with with Mats and 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 Stripling offering some some good uh, good starts is like a huge boon, but. With Ryu pitching as pitching well, you know he had a, has had some ups and downs this year. Manoa has been so strong and such a such a boon to the to the rotation. And then now Jose Barrios, that a big offense and a and strong to competent to to you know successful starting pitching means they're not playing a lot of close games, right? The starters are if the starters are able to go in and not have blow up starts and and do what they've done, you know, again, even you know, if, if it's Ross Stripling, Steve Matt, if they don't have to go out there and and throw eight shutout innings and strike out 14, if they have a decent start, the offense you know is going to score runs. And then so you're not asking so much of the bullpen. So a the ability to sort of like shuffle the deck in a way, and you've you know on top of the the lack of hot, quote unquote high leverage innings, but you're still you've got amazing performance from Richards, you've got amazing performance from um, from Simber, you know Tim Mesa was has, has been great, so you're able to like weather the Brad Hand sort of feeling his way around, or you're able to initially put Ryan Barucki into less leverage situations. Then, you know, we haven't really talked about Ryan Barucki sent down to AAA. Something, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe surprise isn't the right word, but he's not a guy that you would have assumed at any point was going to get sent down. But 
I don't think it's 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 the wrong thing to do. He was getting we talked about this, I believe you and I last time. He was getting destroyed and he had nothing to get right handers out, gave up a big home run. Um to God, I can't remember. He's given up a few. But you know, they've they've just set themselves up where they didn't need to make a huge, you know, they didn't need to go and get Craig Kimbrell because the way that the team has been has performed and has been built, they're kind of okay the way they are i don't know maybe maybe that's not something you want to bank on long term or into if you're playing in october but it's hard to argue with the way that they've played and the way that this sort of has all shaken out as the team has really kind of gelled or molded i'm trying to think of like a good sports cliche they've really gelled they're really gelling at the right time really firing on all cylinders i don't know they got good players and now they've augmented those good players with other kinds of good players and it's kind of it's it looks pretty good so far yeah, I would agree. Obviously, Ryan Barucki going down is disappointing for him, but I think that it also is just them suggesting that he needs to go work on some stuff. And I don't think by any means they're, um, you know, giving up on Ryan Barucki. Um, I think them sending them down is just to say, we want you to figure it out and we want to take some pressure off so that you can figure it out. And he, maybe he can be a factor down the stretch run. Um, and yeah, you mentioned Simber and Richards. I mean, I think that Brios was an excellent ad at the deadline and he's the, you know, he's the signature addition, but getting Richards and Simber when they got them a little bit ahead of the deadline for just really affordable costs there. Um, those, those to me are, you know, the, the bigger deals, the most impactful deals just because of how quickly they help turn around things in the bullpen. Um, Rafael Delis, we have not mentioned him at all lately, but he's really finding it again. And he tends to be somewhat of a, I don't know, confounding type of player. He kind of can, he <laughs> can go kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> he, he sometimes takes the sort of a long winding path, uh, towards outs as opposed to sort of the, uh, you know, the shortcuts, but he's had nine straight scoreless innings and you know, that's pretty good. And so he, he looks like, and that's sometimes you have to hope if you're a team and if you're Ross Atkins, you just have to sometimes hope that the relievers that you get who are, who tend to be up and down guys, just go on a nice run at a a, a good time. Like, you know, if, if, if Delise was going to struggle this year, maybe it was better that he was struggling in May and June when everyone in the bullpen was struggling. And that he's turning around now is you know it could just be fortunate luck for the Blue Jays in the sense that like okay he's worked his way through the injuries and you know maybe he's gonna give you this two-month stretch where he's he's really good and he's figured it out again because he was effective last year we've seen him be effective he tends to he can get guys to you know swing over his pitches and and he generates a lot of soft contact and Brad hands the same way too and that like if the Blue Jays know he's had an up and down year if, if they can just get him on a hot streak for for six weeks or something um you know that's maybe just what they hope to get out of that trade um I also saw I think Riley Adams had a nice um Nice game there. I think he hit a home run for Washington. So good for good Riley for Adams. But um good for Rowdy Telez, who's of course killing. Yes, right? he's excellent. And like I think we said this before, but th- that was a trade that it really looks like it benefited both teams, at least for now. I mean, the Blue Jays got what they needed in in Trevor Richards. He's been excellent. And the Brewers look like they got what they needed in, in Rowdy Telez. And so that worked out for both of them. But yeah, the bullpen mm. definitely, you know, I think it's not a perfect group. No. But the way that the Blue Jays are built 
like um like you said and and like Mike's article said is that you know that they can succeed with this formula that, they, that they've put together and that is having a, a you know a respectable bullpen having mm-hmm. um a, a strong starting staff where you're getting some career years out of some guys and then just having an elite offense there were some questions about uh the bullpen management on Sunday which again all it all comes out in the wash because the Blue Jays won but Patrick Murphy um, inherited three runners, allowed them all to score. You know, he did. He he got four outs, gave up three hits. You know, not ideal. Uh, Kirby Sneed came in and uh, and gave up uh, a run. You know, kind of just not super super effective. Allowed three base runners in an inning and two thirds. And then Delise. So again, Delise kind of came in, in in a in a in a lower leverage spot, and he's been good. And he and he pitched well. He threw himself an inning and a third. But like, you can't. Again, you can't complain because they won, and and you you somebody's got to come in if if Ryu is, is getting the hook in the fourth inning, like somebody's got to come in and pitch the fourth inning. So if you're if the suggestion is you're using Simber or you're using Richards in the fourth inning, that's it seems like a bit of a tough sell. So if those but the, if those are your low leverage guys, you're doing fine, right? If Patrick and if Patrick Murphy is 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 getting a bit of some run as a low leverage guy and it doesn't work out, there's somebody else who's waiting to come right up and, and take that place. You know, they've, they do have some, some depth um, of guys who have gotten outs for them at the big league level, you know, not every time out, but it's uh they're in a good spot. You really, 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 really can't complain. Now, one thing you can't complain about if you're an old person um, is that the Blue Jays are going out West. They are going to the West Coast, as you as you alluded or met, referred to. They will be playing four games against the uh, Anaheim Angels, including a doubleheader coming up on uh, Tuesday with uh, Stephen Matz and the other guy, uh, Ross Stripling, Ross pitching. Uh, Anaheim on the fringes of being able to tell themselves that they're still <laughs> in the the wild card race. Which you know you love to see it. You love to see uh, uh, teams deluding themselves into believing. But I mean, Anaheim is one game over five hundred. I believe they have a net negative run differential. They traded one of their starters there in the middle of the uh, at the trade deadline, and Andrew Heaney who went to the Yankees, which is you never want, love to see. But look, the Angels are have a lot of talent. Obviously, is concentrated in one particular roster spot. But these are these like these like the games against Cleveland, like the games against Kansas City. These are games that the Blue Jays have to feel as though they need to win as many of them as they possibly can. What do you think about going in and facing the Angels in Anaheim? Yeah, it's a, it's tough. I mean, I I do wonder how the Blue Jays will kind of respond to going back on the road, and then obviously on the West Coast, it's tough to sort of adjust your I don't know body clock to playing those games because it feels much later for you. Um, you know, I think the Blue Jays, I don't know their record, but I feel like they've, have they played well in those double headers? I think the seven innings tends to help a lot of teams, but the Blue Jays in particular tends to help them because of all the things we just talked about, about mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, they can get six, five or six innings out of their starter and then they can, if they hit, they can really kind of coast to the end there. And that's a good formula for them to cover less innings. Um, I agree that those are, those are games that they should win. This will be a good test for the Blue Jays because they have so much mon- momentum going that one of the f- sort of frustrating elements of this Blue Jays team has been 
some of their uneven play. And so they play so well and they have these sort of emotional wins against Boston. And we've seen them have these big wins before. And you think, okay, here's the team going on a run. This is where the run's going to start. And then they kind of have a deflating loss or they kind of lose a few. Like the Mets series to me sticks out as like a really, it looked like a really winnable series, especially they had that big game one of the days and then they ended up losing two close ones. And so that was a while ago now. They've kind of had this positive momentum. Maybe they're feeling a lot better about themselves, believing a little more. Um, and so they go into Anaheim. I don't think Anaheim's a particularly tough place to play. Like you said, the team's not really in it. They don't have one of their best players um, playing and for them they yet. They don't have two of their, three of their best players. Anthony yes. Rendon is out for the year. I don't want to talk too much about the Angels. We're going to talk about them on tomorrow's podcast. But oh, okay. Rendon is out for the year. Uh, yes. Obviously a very good player. He's not performed at a very high level for them. Uh, Jared Walsh, who was an all-star this year, is also injured. Um, and of course, Mike Trout is yeah. injured and not playing. But the one game, of course, the Blue Jays will need to uh, keep their eye on is Wednesday's game. when Alec Manoa will go to the hill against Shohei Otani. Who, is it Wednesday or Thursday? I thought it was Wednesday. Am I, am, I, am I speaking out of turn? I'll be mad if I'm wrong, but I probably am. Um, I thought it was. I thought I read Wednesday, but either way, I'm pretty sure it's uh, it's Otani against against uh, against uh, what's his name against Manoa, Manoa. which is uh, that'll be a fun matchup. Like I don't know if you've heard this or not. Uh, Shohei Otani is pretty good. Is he? He he, hmm. he has changed also uh, as as the season has progressed. No, you're right. It is Thursday. Oh, Thursday yes. the eleventh. So then who's he going up? Then he's not going up against Manoa. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what the hell? Where's, where's, I'm mad No, he's going up against Brios. Oh, he is on the 12th. That's still a good matchup. It's an even better matchup. It's like a (laughs) bit of a Spider-Man versus pointing at Spider-Man matchup. But nonetheless, uh, Shoyotani is really, really, really good. He's not as much of the strikeout guy as he was earlier in the year, um, which I have said multiple times it owes to his the sticky stuff crackdown. His uh, splitter is not quite as reliable as it had been, um, but he's pitched so well recently against bad offenses too. But again, that just like the games against the Blue Jays, they all count. They're all big league teams. Mm-hmm. You're playing big league hitters. Jose Ramirez plays for Cleveland, so we can talk about them being dog shit all we want. He's still really good, and you still got to get him out three, four, five times in a night. So beyond the Angels, it's another interesting series against Seattle, who mm-hmm. are a bit of like the the Blue Jays expansion cousins. Uh, <laughs> this will be, have a little bit of a different look for a few reasons. The, they're like the Blue Jays expansion cousins, but like the hideous kind of like living under a bridge cousins. <laughs> Seattle does not have any kind of a track record of success. They have made the playoffs since 2001, I believe. And on top of all of that, they were having a bit of a charmed season this year. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the opposite story of the Blue Jays. Given you know, winning every one run game, not scoring, you know, lose, giving up more runs than they score, but still having a strong record, still being right there in the in the wild card race, and their general manager traded their closer, <laughs> and then it all went to shit. Which is not they, they aren't they haven't lost a bunch of games of late because they traded Kendall Graverman, but it sure looks like like it, and it's a delightful moment uh, for just the six org magic to really work it's you're too young to to know the six org thing but what do you think about going in and be playing seattle the seattle played the blue jays really tough in mm-hmm. wherever it was buffalo buffalo, buffalo. but again that may, 
again, maybe not the most talented team in the, in the world, but obviously a team that's got doing a few things right this year. Those are, those are going to be tough games without, apparently, according to you, because you know, uh, the big home support, the big BC based support the Blue Jays often enjoy in Seattle. Yeah, I probably should have double checked this before coming on. <laughs> yeah, I but had I, a bullet point about it being because people are crossing, people are coming in, but I don't think the borders open both ways. Is it? Is it true? I, I I think that it's just open one way. I think Americans are eligible to come in, un, or sorry, vaccinated Americans are able to come in, but I don't think the U.S. border is open yet for Canadians. I think that's in a couple weeks. I don't know why it's different, um, but. I don't know. Maybe I'll just keep talking if you're looking it up. But I am. Uh, I am. Okay. Okay. Um, the Seattle series will be really interesting um, because you're right that the Seattle played them tough. And I'm trying to think back on that series. And I think that that was one of those frustrating series where it seemed really winnable for the Blue Jays. I don't know if there was a bullpen blow up in that series. I'm, I should have looked back and, and remembered. But um, yeah, Seattle's had that charm season. They kind of brought were brought back down to earth by the Yankees um this past weekend. I think it was a four-game series and they lost it three games to one against the Yankees, which we haven't really mentioned the Yankees, but also someone tweeted this today. I think it was a Red Sox reporter um that the three three of the best teams coming out of the All-Star break have been the Rays, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays. And one of the worst teams coming out of the All-Star break has been the Red Sox. And so uh, pairing the Red Sox sort of um, struggles with everyone around them coming in after the break and just playing some of their best baseball has made the AL East really, really interesting. I think prior to the Blue Jays playing the Red Sox, I think on July 30th I looked it up and the Blue Jays were eight and a half games back of – Boston Red Sox, who at that point were still in first in the East. And by the end of the series, the Blue Jays were three games back of the Boston Red Sox, who had fallen to second and were then, I think they were tied or are tied currently with Oakland for the wild cards. I think they have the same record or they're they're both holding those two spots. And the Yankees are like two and a half games back and the Blue Jays are three games back of the wild card. So there can be a lot of shifting and the Blue Jays have an opportunity here to control their own fate. Um, I wrote about that a couple times recently, but even a week ago, the Seattle series looked even bigger because Seattle was actually ahead of the Blue Jays. Now it still is a big series. They still should win those games if they want to kind of keep pace with the rest of the division and with the wild card race. But Blue Jays have a lot of um, opportunities to just kind of control their season from here on out. Like they don't have to, they have to sort of hope maybe the Red Sox keep losing and maybe the A's lose a couple games and make things a little easier so they can actually move up as opposed to just keeping pace. But they have a lot of series, they have a lot of games against the Orioles, which they can rack up some wins. They have series still against Detroit, I think six games. They've got seven games against the Twins. They've got games against the Yankees where they can control their fate. They've got games against Seattle. Like there's a pretty good schedule for the Blue Jays in terms of just like, you know, quote unquote, easy opponents or, or winnable games, but also just games where like you are facing the team that you are chasing and this is your opportunity to close the gap. So um, have you have you looked up the uh, Canadian border laws? I'm not getting a straight answer in a way that's satisfying to me right now. Okay, but well, that, it doesn't, it doesn't to me, look that like suggests, it. Exactly. I think that it's not clear. And to me, that suggests, I think it's more September when there's going to be more travel. But anyway. More spin rate coming up right after 
these words from our sponsors. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. The one thing I was thinking about the opportunity to play against um, play against a team like Seattle and uh, and, and 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 the equivalent and, and Anaheim to to a much lesser extent is you have the chance to even just clear out some traffic because the wor- yeah. the worst part about the about the wild card is oh well we're only this many games behind but there's four teams that could be ahead of us that sort of thing if you're thinking from a, from a team perspective so if the Blue Jays are able to kind of like put their their foot on the neck of the Angels effect you know not effectively but effectively end their season same with Seattle Seattle is I think two games back or they're two and a half games back of the Blue Jays right now in the wild card standings the Blue Jays can start to just pound on those those losses add a few losses to that that Mariners ledger it will really make it difficult for Seattle to then not only leapfrog and just kind of be in the mix more any more than they than they have to, and then that way the Blue Jays can focus on as you just laid out some of the opportunities ahead of them: a against bad teams, b against teams that are that are in that mix with them as well. Because uh, because that's really what it's what it's uh, where where that opportunity lies. I also think that that I I don't believe that they should rule out the division. Right, I think that you know it might be a pipe dream, and it might be. Mm-hmm. They've got six, not, not, six, not that not that they're ever going to do that. Not that the Blue Jays are like, you know what, no. we've given up on the division. <laughs> <laughs> but but again, they are in fourth place. They are seven games back of Tampa. But you know, even the games back is a little bit deceiving, as as you you know we we've discussed. The Blue Jays are only one game behind Tampa, or Boston in the loss column. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, that's, that's, that's the mentality that the players always bring into this is like, you can't make up losses, but you can make up wins. So they've played fewer games than Boston, for example. So yeah. all they got to do is win games and then they're, then they're tied. They don't have to worry about Boston losing. They just got to win and, and they'll be good. So it's, it's an, it's a big week. They're all going to be big weeks, um, from here on out. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's exciting and it's, a, it's a bummer that they won't have that sort of Seattle, Putting that shoe back on the other on the other foot a little bit in terms of being able to uh, to be in, be the nuisance fans that the locals hate 
Um, you know but, what, though? Hmm. Sorry to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. I feel like I have. I was actually thinking about this today, and I have a I have a renewed perspective on that. Mm-hmm. In that, I have talked to the Blue Jays players now who have experienced being a home team and having the entire crowd against you at your quote unquote home. Now it was different because their home was not their actual home ballpark. It was Buffalo and it was Dunedin, but to hear the Blue Jays talk about how tough it was when the Yankees fans were in Buffalo and getting on them and booing them and, you know, how much that kind of sucked to have a home series where you don't feel like you're the home team. And so I feel like I always came at the Seattle perspective of like, how cool is it that the Blue Jays fans in BC get to go? And I still think that's nice. I I don't want to sound like I don't want them to be there and get to cheer the Blue Jays because they only get that once a year. And now they're probably not going to get it for another year. So that's going to be two years for them, I guess, not getting to see their team. So I totally understand why they go there. I'm just saying that I kind of feel for the Mariners a little bit more now, just kind of understanding how that can, you know, bother players or how that can be really distracting or or feel like, uh, I don't know, feel like a real disadvantage when your home ballpark is not your home ballpark for a series. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I've always heard it from the Blue Jays perspective where it's so great for those players. And I still think it is. um, And it's great for the fans. It's great for everyone in Western Canada who gets to see the Blue Jays, like I said, but I just feel like I have a renewed perspective from the Seattle Mariners point of view, just knowing, just talking to the Blue Jays and what they've gone through for the last year. So yeah, I was actually thinking about that today and I was like, you know, I, I kind of understand now why the Mariners don't love it. Now, look, the Mariners are still making a lot of money because the Blue Jays bring in a lot of uh, people from BC to see those games. And I don't know that Blue Jays series would sell out necessarily in Seattle, Seattle. Although I do think that ballpark does pretty well. It's a, I think, I, I don't know what they draw in attendance, but it's a nice ballpark. So maybe people just like going there. I just mean the team hasn't been very good for years, but I feel but, you like, know, they benefit from it, but I just, yeah, that's my point of view from it now. It's like, I kind of feel bad for the Seattle Mariners fans when they have to go through that. I feel bad for the Seattle Mariners fans. Uh, and players. You know, well, and players. There's a guy, uh, that I follow, I follow for a long time on um, on Twitter. Who is like a he worked for the Mariners for like four years, and and even when he was a fan, he was like just they hate it. They hate that weekend. Yeah. Everybody hates it, especially because it, it's. I mean, we can all be honest. Like the, the the fans who come down from BC, it's like a party, and they are they <laughs> they do not exactly behave in a way that is that is reflective of like if you went to a Blue Jays game. Like it is it is a heightened experience. Those people are sauced up and just like having <laughs> determined to have the time of their lives. So it's, it's, it is something that's missing. And I, I will say that the, the American border will not be open to non-essential Canadian tra- to travel until August 21st. There you go. So they will not, unless those games are after that, which they aren't. They are they're, not. they're not. They're just missing it by a week or so. Yeah. But they're, so they're the Americans, vaccinated Americans are free to come with the test as well. Free to come to Canada. Lots of folks going to visit their cottages for the first time in two years, as I've as I've seen and, and experienced as well. Anything else, Caitlin? That's on your mind. I was going to throw it open to you. Uh, I don't, did we talk? We did talk about Ben uh, Ben Wagner back on the call. Uh, speaking of cottages, I think a lot of people associate cottage with baseball on the radio. Um, it's great whenever you can do it. Whenever you can hear it, it's just like night and day. A delightful moment of night and day. We did talk about this last time as well. 
What else do you have coming up for us this week? Are you ready to burn the midnight oil after uh, after this being back in your own seat? Suddenly you're back, thrown back at, onto your couch and now having to stay up late and watch West Coast games? Yeah, I'm not crazy about the West Coast time <laughs> difference. <laughs> it's tough. It's late. Um, I think that the Angels games are half an hour earlier, which is nice. The Seattle games are later, um, later starts. But... Yeah, I'll have a few things coming. I haven't actually made my editorial plan for this week because I took today off from mm. writing, so I have to. But I think I'm planning something fun with our Angels writer. We're going to combine and do something fun. Um, maybe you guys can guess what that might be, but that's I'll just tease it that me and our relatively new um, Angels writer, Sam, are uh, joining up to work on a piece together. So that should come out. Um, probably like Wednesday or Thursday, I think. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting. And if you want to read that and you want to read everything that Caitlin writes, I, of course, will encourage you to subscribe to The Athletic. If you do not already, you should go to theathletic.com slash spin rate. You'll get a tidy discount and you'll let them know that we sent you, which keeps us going, keeps us uh, cranking out the shows, which is, uh, which is a lot of fun. I, I don't know what your story. I have, I have a guess, maybe. Maybe it could be anything. There are, there are, A, there's, obvi- well, there's obviously the Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Sr. thing. But uh, there's also, of course, the Otani thing that anyone can always look to talk about. But enough, enough about all of that. If you ever wanted to look for a story about what would happen if Otani the pitcher faced Otani the hitter, I wrote that story in 2018. You can Google. It's on Vice, Vice.com. Is it, does it still hold up? Like, or is he different enough of a pitcher now or different enough of a hitter now that it's doesn't you, quite hold up? You know the part that holds up the best is that the hitter that I comped him to was Matt Olson, who is mm-hmm. also having a career year at the same time as Otani. Um, I think that, you know, seeing what I've seen from Otani this year, it would he would I think that he's Otani the pitcher is wild enough outside of the strike zone that he could probably keep his fastball away from Otani the hitter. And he throws enough junk that he might be able to get Otani the, the batter to get himself out because he does do that. If he could, th- if his, if his changeup was working or sorry, his splitter was like really working. I, I think Otani the pitcher would destroy Otani the hitter unless he walked him. And then if he walked him, then Otani the hitter would steal like second and third on probably the <laughs> same pitch going all the way around. But oh, we didn't talk about that. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. stole, stole a base yesterday on Sunday off of Adam mm-hmm. Ottavino, his old rival. One last thing that I will say that I read, saw somewhere that speak, and this, it's all, all these things come together. Adam Ottavino, of course, who came in on Sunday and actually pitched pretty well. Uh, I guess he was responsible for a couple of the runners that then Matt Barnes. Uh, is that, am I remembering that correctly? No, he came I, in the seventh and then they oh, yeah, kind of yeah. were aggressive and then T. Oscar got thrown out between second and third and then Corey right. Dickerson got thrown off at second. So he that allowed a few, he, he allowed Corey a few. <laughs> yeah. So Adam Montevino like was fine. He allowed a few hits, but then the Blue Jays kind of got themselves out of that inning. So, so the thing about Adam Montevino is he's a clown because he was, I'm going to find the tweet here. It's from a couple of years, a couple earlier. On Shohei Otani's birthday, Adam Adovino got him out and then said, happy birthday, bitch, to Shohei Otani. At that time, the Red Sox were 54 and 32 and led the AL East by four and a half games. Since then, they have gone, I believe this is now out of date, they've gone, I think, 10 or they've gone 11 and 17. 
and are now uh, four games back or however many games back. So Adam Adovino cursed the Red Sox season by cursing Shohei Otani. That's it. That's all I've got. That's all we've got. So again, if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, you can do that at the website. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do that wherever you get your podcasts. If it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I've seen some people talking about they're moving on from Apple Podcasts. I don't know if you're ready to do that, but you can subscribe wherever you go. Overcast, Stitcher, all those places. Spin rate is there and ready for you. And if you're listening to this on Tuesday, get ready. There's going to be another episode tomorrow recording an Angel-centric Blue Jays podcast. Talking about the Blue Jays, talking about the Angels tomorrow with a good friend of mine to talk about the angels and talk about the pictures and so much more her name is caitlin mcgrath my name is drew fair service we will talk to you next time on spinning